Our Old Testament scripture lesson is found in the book of Psalms, chapter 34, the first 10 verses. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is the word of the Lord. Out the devil, shut the door, keep the devil in the night, shut the door, keep out the devil, light the candle, everything's all right, light the candle, everything's all right. Oh, when I was a baby child, shut the door, keep out the devil, good and bad were just a game, shut the door, keep the devil in the night, many years and many tries, shut the door. Keep out the devil. Shut the door. Keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Shut the door. Keep the devil in the night. Shut the door. Keep out the devil. Light the candle. Everything's all right. Light the candle. Everything's all right. Shut the door, keep out the devil. 
son preach today. And let me introduce you to my son, John Yenter. Good morning, Lakeside Church. It is an honor to be here. I got to come to your service Christmas Eve last year to watch him preach. So it's an honor to be back here. My family has ties to Lakeside. My son was born in Lakeside. I used to help teach at El Cap High School, the drumline there. And so it's an honor to be in front of you all to share in the word today. I'm the lead pastor of a church called The Refinery down in Chula Vista. So we haven't even started service yet. They were already texting me to say, when you're done preaching, can you just come over this way? And I said, no, you're, you're fine. I asked my dad, you know, what, what should I preach on? He said, preach on anything. And this is kind of the word of the Lord that he's brought to me today that I want to share to you all. And it's talking about this concept of serving. And I know instantly when somebody is a pastor says the word serving from the front, everybody starts to get uncomfortable, but we've locked the doors in the back, so you're stuck here. <laughs> I know my dad's been talking about blingonomics and, and giving, but I think if we're going to continue this, serving is just one of those aspects of giving that we should really touch on. And to touch on this subject, as I was looking about it, I wanted to look at a foot washing. You know, that one passage of Bible where Jesus gives his 12 disciples a pedicure. And now, ladies, I know with a pedicure, how many of you have ever had a pedicure before in your life? Wow. For, for me, it was never something that was really on my radar of fun things to do in my life. And uh, as I started to look at this concept of pedicure, you'll have to bear with me. I don't usually have a podium at my church. I just wander and as I was looking at this concept of pedicures, you know, men, have, there's, there's a stigma about pedicures and manliness to it. And I decided I'd never had one. And if I was going to be looking at Jesus giving a pedicure to his 12 disciples, I should try this the other day. So I went to Grossmont Center and I went into this nail and bar type place. I don't know. It was really nice and it had great reviews on Yelp. So I said, let's go for it. And so I walk in there, and she's like, can I help you? I said, yes, I would love a pedicure. And she goes, have you had one before? No. And it, it was like instantly she had to tell everybody in the entire place that it was my first time, right? And so she didn't just put me at one of the front places. I had to go by seven ladies in the front that were all drinking mimosas, then to the back half where there was like ten more ladies, and every single buddy, she's like, this is his first time, you know, like, oh, this is so wonderful. This is just not awkward at all, right? You are making me want to go through with this and sit here today. And so I finally get to this place, and she's in the back where they're doing nails also. And what I didn't realize is I think I'm allergic to everything in a nail salon. And so she's starting to heat up the water, and she's talking through what's going to happen. 
And you would think that I had just seen probably the sappiest movie that's ever been made. But I just started sneezing, and I'm, it's to the point where I'm crying. My nose is running uncontrollably. I'm just like, you know what? I don't think I can do this anymore. And she's like, what? I'm like, I'm really sorry, you know, and I just, I leave. And so now I'm walking by all these ladies that I've just, and I'm crying, right? And this is the experience. I'm sure that they're still talking about this guy that tried to have his first time and ran out crying. I don't know. But for, for me, it was just this awkward, uncomfortable experience that I put myself into. And 2,000 years ago, I think it was very normal, it was very common that when somebody went to somebody's house, you would first get introduced to them by getting your feet washed, right? Walking along the road, your feet would get dirty. Who knows what you walked through from the animals and people that was just left on the road. And this was the custom for people to have their feet washed. In biblical times, having your feet washed by somebody else was not as awkward as it is today. I know for some of you, for me walking up here for the first time and saying, hey, we're going to do a foot washing, come on up. Some of you are like, I don't know you, John. I get it, right? I don't know how comfortable I would be for this. But what's awkward and socially unacceptable in this thing is not what's taking place. It's who's doing the foot washing. Foot washing was reserved in ancient times for the lowest of the low, the newest servant, the servant nobody really knew their name for and didn't care about. And so Jesus is doing something that's incredibly out of the norm, that's countercultural. And the disciples, they're just having this hard time being in this moment. And there's something that I think is really important that we need to look at here. Because if I was to find out today that this is the last night I'm going to be on earth, that tomorrow I'm going to go meet Jesus, I'm, I'm excited for it, I'm ready for it, it's going to be great. But at the same time, if I knew this was my last night, I would surround myself with the people I love the most. I would surround myself with my wife and my kids. Thanks. <laughs> but I think in that moment, what you say, how you act, shows the content of your character. And it shows the depths of your soul with the people that you love the most. And to me, that's why I think this is so important, that as we look at Jesus, the Son of God, who knows that tomorrow he's going to die at the cross, that the words that he's going to speak and what he commands his disciples to do is some of the most important things that we can hear at that time and here today in our own lives. Let's look at John chapter 13, verse 1. And it says, before the Passover celebration, now... A lot of people, you've been in church a long time, sometimes we hear certain things, we know Passover is important, but some people kind of get it confused in their head, why Passover is so important. If you were a Jew, if you still are a Jew, Passover is a big celebration. It's like Christmas Eve we're talking about for Jewish people, okay? Christmas Eve is big in Christianity. Passover is big as a Jewish person because Passover celebrates the day that God took his people out of slavery, Right? The angel of death goes through the lands and everybody that had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost was saved. And so every year since then, they're celebrating with this feast. They're celebrating this moment where God showed that he was real and devoted and true and a protector in their lives. So here Jesus is. He's with his disciples and they're having Passover meal. They're gathered together and this is so important for their faith. 
Now to transition from this, one of the cool things I think about being a pastor is you get the opportunity to do weddings, right? I just went up to Lake Tahoe and did a wedding up in Lake Tahoe, and I love vows. I don't write people's vows because I think it's hilarious to see what people are going to say. Everybody approaches their vows differently. But the other thing that I love is just being a pastor, you get to walk through people's lives. And it sounds pretty sick and morbid, but I love funerals too, right? We just did a funeral for a gentleman in our church who was, you know, the doorman, if you know what I mean. He owned ushering. That was his life. He had his bow tie and his vest, and everybody knew Doug. But it wasn't until his death that I got to meet his family that lived out of state, and that I got to learn so much that he had recreated Corvettes and that he had done all these amazing things in his life because you get to know people on a certain level in church but it's not until other parts of life that you get to learn that I got to read his Bible and see some of the passages that were most important to him and it blew my mind on the depths of understanding and some of the, the biggest impacts in ministry I've ever had come from funerals one of the most amazing memories I have is going to a funeral of somebody whose wife had passed away that they'd been married for almost 70 years. And he said the statement, I loved you and was faithful to you to the very end. That's something that's always stuck with me. Because when we talk about this word love, we kind of say I love you in the same sense as I love pizza a lot of times. And as a culture, I don't think a lot of people truly understand what it means to truly love. And I learned a lot that day watching this man honor his wife when he said what love really means. How loving someone truly by loving them to the very end. And that's what Jesus does here in verse 1. He says, I'm going to love you guys to the very end. He loved you so much that he was faithful. And so for those of you that are coming to church this weekend and you feel that maybe you're just, something's happened in your life that you feel far apart from God. Or maybe you feel at times in your life that your life is unraveling. Or maybe you've messed up in some way or another. And that you feel like you're just full of sin. And maybe you're just struggling with some aspect of your faith or your life. I want you to know that God loves you. Even when you've abandoned Him, God has never abandoned you. And God loves you. And He's there for you. And He proves it. By the way, he's going to say next. John 13, verses 2 through 5. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all this under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. For the disciples, this, this moment was not known to them. This was outside the social norm. Nothing is weird about what was taking place. It's who's doing it. Who's the one that grabbed the basin, filled it with water, wrapped a towel? This is Jesus. This is the rabbi. I mean, how do you correct Jesus? What do you say, you know, Jesus, I don't, I don't think you should be doing this right now. Right? This is making me a little uncomfortable. I don't think your status is this, Jesus. And they don't know what to say to him. So the only thing that they can do is they receive this moment. 
And it says that when Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who's basically the leader of the disciples, this happens, verses 6 to 9. He says to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing. But later, you're going to understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus answers, unless I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And I got to be honest with you, you know, people just are drawn to biblical characters. I am always drawn to Peter. And, and maybe it's because I relate way too much. Because Peter's always that guy that, that says what everybody else is thinking, but nobody's comfortable to say out loud. Right? He's always the guy that kind of puts his foot in his mouth a lot of times. And Peter, in this moment, kind of reminds me of like this little kid, like, no, you're not going to do that. Right? I got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. When they get it in their mind that they're not going to do something, they fight it out until they just realize that I'm the dad and I'm going to win. Right? And he's like, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Right? And she's like, oh, you want to make a bet? Right? He's like, I I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. And Jesus replies to him, listen, Peter, you've got to figure this out. Unless I do this for you, you are not going to belong to me. Peter, unless I actually do this, and you let me serve you, you will never, ever get to heaven with me. Do you understand what I'm talking about, Peter? And I love this moment because it's like Peter gets this light bulb that kind of pops on in his head, right? And he gets like overly zealous. He almost gets a little weird about it, right? He's like, Peter, or Jesus, don't just wash my hands. Wash all of me. Let's do this, right? And he gets all excited about it. And you're like, man, Peter, that's a little extreme. But it's important here. Verses 10 and 11, let's go on. Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean. And Peter, let me tell you, you're clean. Though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, not everybody was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked. But... I mean, if you've read the Bible, if you've seen Jesus' interaction with disciples, you can probably guess they didn't have a clue. And let's be honest, as a Christian, even those of us have been a Christian for a while, Jesus is trying to tell us here today, do you truly understand what I was doing for you? Let's continue on, verses 13 and 14. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. You know what? That's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And I love this statement because when you see this, there's two titles that Jesus pops out on himself. You call me teacher. We should stop right there and see because teacher is something that a lot of people and I think around the world would agree that Jesus was a teacher. doesn't matter which faith you are, they believe that Jesus was a teacher. Hindus revere Jesus as a teacher. Buddhists say he is a teacher, but not only that, he was an enlightened one. Muslims will say that he was the most powerful teacher of God, and he was an incredible teacher of God. The Jews who rejected him, who would soon kill him, said he was a rabbi, a great teacher, the most famous Jew that ever lived. So everybody around the world can easily give Jesus and read his word and say he can teach you something. But he also gives this title right there. If you are like me and you underline or circle words, there's Lord. 
That's not some title that we should just throw around. Jesus is saying here, you have a choice. You can call me teacher or you can call me Lord. And there's a lot of people that say that Jesus never claimed to be God. The disciples get up later. later. But then we got this verse. It says you call me teacher and you call me Lord and you're right. That's what I am. He's saying, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also go out and wash somebody else's feet. He's saying, man, you got to do what I've done. Don't just sit and be served, but you got to get out of your normal routine. you got to get out of your schedule. Don't be afraid to do what needs to be done. Let's continue on, verses 15 through 17. He says, I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus Christ isn't talking about foot washing here. What he's talking about is service. And he wants to teach us, I think, on the last night of his life, that serving your brother and sister in and out of the church is the most important message that he could ever communicate to us. And here's the problem. Some of us, we hear a message about serving and we instantly put it in our own context. We instantly say, you know what? Oh, I probably do need to serve my wife or my husband better. Or maybe I need to be a better roommate or I need to love my kids a little better. And if you hear a sermon about serving and some of those convictions come up, then you better get on it, right? Let's be real here. But you're missing what Jesus is saying. You're missing the call of Christ. You see, the Christian is ministered by serving. Let me tell you why it's so important. See, in America today, it's not a difficult issue to get people to serve, right? Americans are known for their charity. They're known for their work. They're known for helping out. The hardest thing for us is not to serve in our life. The hardest thing is actually, I think, to allow people to serve us. Now I want you to notice where Peter says, Jesus, wait, you got to stop. You're not going to wash my feet, right? You're not going to do this to me. What Peter thinks he's doing is he thinks he's standing for the righteousness of Jesus. But really, what he's doing is he's revealing his own pride and his own arrogance. You're not going to help me, Jesus. You're not going to serve me. You're not going to bless me. Let me explain this to you. This is, I think, so key for our relationship with Jesus. If you really belong to Jesus, at some point you're going to have to allow other believers to serve you and to minister to you and to join in your life with you in these areas. And if you think and you believe that your own, you're your own self-contained church, right? That you can pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and you don't need anybody else. That you can figure things out on your own. Maybe it's because you can build Ikea furniture without a manual. So you think you can handle these other areas of your life. All you need is your Bible and your beer in your backyard and you're going to be okay one day. Right? Whatever it is for you that you think. If that's you and you think that's the call of Christ. I hate to say it, but I don't think you belong to Jesus. Because if you belong to him, you belong to his family. And if you belong to his family, you serve his family. And more importantly, you are served by his family. 
See, I think so many of us, myself included at times, we're so wrapped up in our own arrogance and our own spiritual pride that we don't think that we need to share our lives with other people. But if you truly love Jesus, you have to humble yourself and you have to let yourself be ministered to by others. I mean, when was the last time some of us even asked somebody else for a prayer? You said, man, I've got all these problems going on. My kids are having problems. I'm seeing these things unravel in my life. Man, I just need prayer for my marriage. I need prayer on how to handle the sickness that's taking place in my family. I have to get prayer for my attitude, right? I just, if I'm around my kids for five more minutes, I'm going to kill one of them. I need prayer, right? How many of us have ever said, I need prayer for my health? I just need prayer because what I'm doing in my life is not working anymore. When was the last time you opened yourself up to somebody and let them wash your feet? Not literally, but spiritually. To come alongside you and minister to you. And I love church because we have so many opportunities for small groups. Some of you are going to go to a Bible study group right after this. And you say, man, in my life I get to this moment where I'm at my wit's end. So will you as a group pray for me? Because it's hard for us to open up, to, to really pour into our trusting somebody. We live in this world where we just don't know who we can trust anymore. We look at it, we watch the news, we see it unraveling all around us, and we go, oh my gosh, who can I actually go to that isn't going to one day turn on me? And I love church, and I love his body, because it is a place where we have a group of people that come together and say, man, I want to talk with you. I want to cry with you. Because you need people that love Jesus, that can remind you that you are loved, that you matter, that you're not alone, maybe that you're beautiful, and you're perfect just the way you are. We all need that. We all need to be ministered to by Jesus. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, Peter, you'll never belong to me. And I love Peter's response because he's like, all right then, I just got to go all in. I'm 100%. Let's do this. Because Peter knows. Peter, he may be an idiot at times, but he knows he wants to be with Jesus. He knows that he wants to belong to Jesus, and he trusts Jesus to lead his life 100%. I want you to know, there are people in the church that love you. I hear all the time about this church. I hear about the heart and the passion and the ministry and the people that come together and say, man, I want to come alongside you and I want to love you in your life. There's people that come every Sunday and they greet you. They're waiting to pray for you if you'll just step out and receive that prayer. And yet, but you have to humble yourself. And you have to say, you know what? I'm going to let these people love me. I'm going to open myself up to these people because you're not a part of the family of God until you're willing to be ministered to by the family of God. Because every single day, Satan's whispering in our ears that you're not good enough. Every single day, Satan's whispering in your ears that you can never make a difference, that you can never bless somebody, that you are so far removed or you screwed up so much in your life that you just can never be used. And I want you to know that every single one of you is gifted by God to serve the people of God. Let me just give this up as a confession to you. My whole life growing up as a kid, I was always that awkward kid that was picked kind of the back of the pack. 
You know what I mean? I wasn't a sports guy. I was a musician. I wasn't the most knowledgeable in a lot of different things. I just kind of went through, and I never really understood my purpose, and it always got me frustrated, and I was overly critical of myself through my whole life until one day I discovered the gifts that God had given me. And I think that's my prayer for you as a church here today. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that God has given each of you a gift. Every single one of you. When you become a Christian, it's like Christmas and you have a gift to open up. 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If someone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Can I get an amen? Amen. Oh, I, don't, I didn't know what my gift was for a long time. And then I read this passage growing up, and I asked myself, John, do you have the gift of speaking? I was like, I think I do, right? Because every report card I ever got was like, John will never shut up in class. Right? This kid always runs his mouth. Nobody knew it was just my spiritual gift of speaking. Right? You laugh, but you're listening. Every single one of us has a gift from God. And we need to discover our gift. But you discover your gift by just saying, I'm going to serve. Do you think Jesus knew his spiritual gift was foot washing? No. Jesus Christ discovered the fullness of who he is by serving God and by serving the church. If you want to discover who you are, your identity in Christ as the son and daughter of the one true king, then you have to make time and find a place to serve in the church. You have to find your giftedness. And serving doesn't mean you do it for life, right? In my church, we've been talking about I love my church and all of these different aspects of our church. And people are like, I'm always scared to sign up, John, because I'm afraid that's going to be my job for life. I'm like, probably, but you have the chance to say no. It's just if we'll accept it or not, right? But we encourage people, man, just do it for a week or two. See if you're good at it. Somebody will train you. But it's not good for us in the faith to just come and sit on a Sunday, to just pay somebody else to do the work. That's not our call. And it's hard. Serving doesn't mean any of this. First Peter says, do you have the gift of speaking and speak as though God himself was speaking through you? And you know, that's how I preach. I don't think I am equipped to be standing up here preaching the word of God, but I have to be faithful that God's going to use the words out of my mouth and they're not mine. And I know that he's going to touch who he's going to touch when he's going to touch them. And if you have the gift of helping others, then you have to do it with all your strength, with all your energy that God has supplied you then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. God wants you to unlock your giftedness. And only you can do that by saying, God, I'm going where you want me to. God, where you lead, I will follow. I'm in 100%. Let's do this. There are people in this church, I think, that serve so faithfully. If your church is anything like mine, it takes no less than 30 people to make Sunday happen. 30 people. From counting money that's given to setting up and doing sound to ushering to collecting offering to folding bulletins to cleaning this place because, you know, people leave stuff around. 
We have people that take your kids and your grandkids. It was awesome to see a children's choir up here. But I hate to say it, you know what you're dropping off with children's in the Sunday school over there, right? When was the last time we thanked our children's teacher? People my church, they're always asking, John, why do you always want more teachers for kids on Sunday school? Or why is it so important to do community outreach like trunk or treat? This is a pagan holiday. Why are we celebrating this? Do you know what they're being taught in the world? All these kids that are standing up here, these kids in our community, every day they go to their school and they're being taught that they are a cosmic accident. And then they come to a place like this and they go to Sunday school and they're being taught that there is no accidents, that they are created by God for a purpose. And not only that, that they are special, they are unique, and they are loved. And that's what's happening right now in children's ministry all around the world. And our children are being taught the most important information they will ever learn, that there is a God who loves them. And that they are known by that God. And he went to his death to be for them, to love them so much. You want to become real with yourself. You've got to serve the church in a real way. And it doesn't matter what you do. All that matters is that you serve. And here's the secret of getting to know God better and His call in your life and His voice in your life. The Christian is filled by God through serving. You are filled by God through serving. And there's a hunger, I think, that's in each and every one of us. There's a spiritual hunger. And you can only be filled so much, no matter who the preacher is. You can only be filled so much up here on a Sunday morning. But it will never be enough to fill your soul. And Jesus replied, he said, if you want to get full, then I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. And my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finished his work. And I think in churches, some of us are, we're starving. Your soul is starving because the only person that we serve a lot of times is ourselves. We need to serve Jesus by serving his church. And that brings me kind of to the last point as I close up here. We as Christians are commanded to serve. Jesus says, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And the, there's this great passage in Luke chapter 6, 46 that says, why do you call me Lord? And then it gets real convicting. I mean real convicting. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? The weight to that. I mean, this just got real. Why do you call yourself a Christian? Never do what Jesus says. Jesus commands the disciples, and he commands us, and he commands the church to serve. No matter your job, no matter your life situation, no matter your age, your race, your political whatever identity that you have, or any other politically correct title that's going to be thrown out in the next few years, a Christian is called to serve. Here's the problem. We live in a society where everybody's doing their own thing. We live in a society where people don't really want to help anybody other than themselves. We're trapped in our own worlds, in our own lives. The other day I was stuck on the freeway, usually from where I live to my church in Chula Vista. It takes me 18 minutes. 18 minutes exact. It's amazing. But the other day I was driving and there was just this backup on the freeway. And my 18 minutes was now at 40 minutes and I was not moving. Like, what is going on? So I started praying and I started going through it. 
And as I finally work my way up an hour and 20 minutes later, I see that there's just a car that's stalled in the middle lane. There was this little old lady sitting in the car and she had a flat tire and she stopped in the middle. And at an hour and 20 minutes, she'd been sitting there. AAA wasn't there, nobody had helped. And I pulled over on the side of the road, I ran across and I pushed her car 15 feet out of the road. It took three minutes of my time. I was a little sweaty. Three minutes, I got back in my car, I made it to work five minutes later. But as I thought about this, as I, I looked at this, this is the picture oftentimes of our spiritual journey. We're all stuck and nobody wants to get out and help push. Jesus wants us to help push his church by serving each other. Let me say this, I don't know what God has in store for this church, but I want you to hear this. God is preparing this church through this process of your pastor search team is bringing in for a transition and he has something huge planned for this church. I know that wholeheartedly. You need to be prepared to get out and push because we're on a team. God wants us to be on his team. God wants us to change this world. But we have to be willing to get on our knees, get out the basin and wash wherever we're called to wash. And that's what's going to take for God to move in amazing ways in our churches, in our communities. And my prayer is that you and I and the church as a whole are ready to serve. So God, I pray wholeheartedly that you speak into the lives of this church, that you bless this church, that you fulfill their call, that you bring them the right pastor and leader and guidance. Lord, but not only that, that this will be a church that will truly do as you say, that will serve you. They'll speak into the lives of these 11 kids that so willingly will be willing to sing up here, Lord. That through this place, they will know that they are no cosmic accident. But they will grow in their faith and their love for you. Lord, that you will anoint and bless each man and woman that serves you. That you will help them to find their place and their calling in the unique way that you have set before them. That they can draw closer to you through their acts of service within this church. We thank you that you are a loving God that will never abandon us, nor leave us, nor forsake us. So Lord, fill us. Grant us the energy and the strength to be used by you to the day we stand before you. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen.